Hope you everyone is doing well today. If you have your Bible, please open it to uh, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18b through verse 23. 18b through verse 23. So is it cold enough for you yet? (laughs) Winter's coming. It's coming. If you've been here uh, for the past several weeks, you notice that we've been on a Christology tour in Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. The Apostle Paul has uh, been giving us a tour of this wonderful confession of Jesus Christ. These verses confess who Jesus is. They confess what Jesus does. They confess, that Je- they confess Jesus to be the GOAT. The greatest of all time. Not an animal, but the greatest of all time. He's the selfie of the invisible God. He's the supremacist who rules over all things. He is the head of the body, the church. These are the things that we've been confessing who Jesus is and what Jesus does. And in verse 18b through verse 20, we're going to tour our final confession of him. These verses confess him to be the Redeemer. The Redeemer. Jesus is the Redeemer who redeems all of creation. He's the Redeemer who redeems all of creation. So, here's God's word, beginning in 18b. It says, He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is God's holy word. Please pray with and for me. Father, as we open up your scriptures today, we call upon your spirit as we do every week. We call upon him to to come, to, to minister to us, that each of us will hear what we need to hear from the message today to encourage us in our walk, to sustain us in our walk. So, Holy Spirit, you are our counselor. You are our helper. You are the one who leads us into all truth. And you know what we need to hear today. You know what we need. You know our doubts. You know our fears, our insecurities. You know our self-righteousness. You see it all. And I pray that you would minister to it today. For our good and for Christ's glory. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. The confession of Jesus in, in these verses 
is different from the previous confessions of him. These the ones like he's a selfie, he's the supremacist, he's the head of the body, the church. The one in verse 18b through 20 is different. It's different. You say, well, how is it different? It's different because it's on a it's on a whole nother level. It, it it presents a different level of who Jesus is and and what he does. You see, your redeemer is needed when something goes wrong. You don't need a redeemer if everything's good. A redeemer is needed if if someone needs to be rescued or set free from something. If someone needs to be ransomed, a redeemer is needed to restore things to order. So if, if everything is great, if everything is fine, then there's no need for a redeemer. There's no need for any type of one, anyone to come to fix anything. The confession of Jesus here it takes into account that something has happened that requires a redeemer to make it right. Something has happened that requires a redeemer to make it right. So what happened? And where did it happen? Think about it like this. I'll I, I use this illustration. Kids are interesting in image bearers of God. They can wow you at times, and at other times they can make you scratch your head. You see, because particularly in a way that they can, they can tear down a room in any home, at any time, at any place. I mean, the room can be clean from top to bottom, but when kids storm through, when they come through, they leave dirt and mess behind. Dirty clothes on the floor, Legos on the floor, toothpaste on the bathroom countertop, Play-Doh in the carpet. When they leave the room, it looks like you haven't cleaned that room in weeks because they can tear it down. And the mess now isn't going to clean up itself. Someone still has to clean up that mess. Someone has to fix it. Someone has to make it right. Someone has to redeem that situation. Someone has to get dirty in order to make that room clean again. You see, through Christ, God created a clean world. It wasn't messy. It wasn't dirty. No Play-Doh in the carpet. No dirty clothes on the floor. All the creation was fresh. All the creation was clean. God had a spotless house from top to bottom. It even had curb appeal. Everything. But something happened. Something happened to God's clean house. Something happened within his clean creation. And oh, yes, I forgot to mention he had two kids living in his house. Adam and Eve were their names. And they brought a storm. They brought a bad storm. Through God's clean creation, we call that storm the fall. And that fall brought mess to God's clean house. It brought dirt. And that storm came because Adam and Eve disobeyed God because they ate of this forbidden fruit, a fruit that God said you are not to eat of, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But they did. And when they did, the sin of mess came. The dirt of sin came. All entered into the world because of their rebellion against God. Their fall broke themselves, and it broke all of creation. It made everything and everyone messy and dirty. The creation is no longer clean from top to bottom, and that includes people as well. 
So someone is needed to restore what has been broken. Someone is needed to clean up the dirt. Someone is needed to make things right again. A redeemer is needed. And Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the redeemer. He's not one of many redeemers. Maybe I should have had this up because I only had one amen. If you haven't been here, well, there are certain things I say that demands an amen. And when I say Jesus is the redeemer, that's an amen statement. Thank you. He's not one of many redeemers. He's the only redeemer. He fits the bill. He's Mr. Clean. He's the fixer. He's the greatest of all time. He is the redeemer who fixes up what we messed up. He redeems all of creation. But do you believe it? Do you believe it? Two questions I want to ask you. Two questions. What kind of redeemer is Jesus? And what kind of redeemer do you want him to be? Those are two different questions with two different answers. What kind of redeemer is he? And then what kind of redeemer do you really want him to be in your life? Because what he really is, is not always what we really want him to be. Because think about those questions. What type of redeemer do you really want Jesus to be? A redeemer who saves you from discomfort? A redeemer who saves you from suffering? A redeemer who saves you from doing your homework? A redeemer who saves you from inconvenience? A redeemer who saves you from disappointment? A redeemer who saves you from your discipline on your parents when you make curfew or when you break curfew or miss curfew. What type of redeemer do you want Jesus to be? Because we all call on him at some point. We all call on him at some point. So what do you want him to do? What do you want him to save you from? Do you want him to be a redeemer who saves you from losing all your American rights? Is that what type of redeemer he is for us? That he preserves our American way of life? Losing our social status, a redeemer who saves us from all those liberals, a redeemer who saves us from all those conservatives. What type of redeemer do you really want Jesus to be in your life? Who is he? Is he a political redeemer, national redeemer, blue collar redeemer, white collar redeemer, a black redeemer, a white redeemer? Well, who is he? Who is he to you? Jesus is a redeemer who rose again. That's what type of redeemer he is. He's a resurrected redeemer. That's what type of redeemer he is. And his resurrection changed everything. It was a a game changer. Verse 18b says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What do you mean by that, Pastor? How could that be true? Because how can Jesus be the firstborn from the dead? Because there, there were other people in the Bible who were raised from the dead before he was. Two people in the Old Testament was raised from the dead in First and Second Kings. Three people in the New Testament was raised from the dead. Luke 8, Luke 7, and John 11. So how could Jesus be the firstborn from the dead when these five people were raised before him? How? Each of these people rose again and died again. But Jesus didn't die again. He didn't die again. His resurrection is different. It's on a whole different level. Remember the term firstborn. It can either refer to birth order. It can refer to birthright. 
In verse 15b, it refers to birthright, that Jesus has the rank of a firstborn son. He had all the privileges of a firstborn son. Son. In verse 18b, it refers to birth order and birthright. His resurrection is superior and his resurrection is first. It's superior and it's first. Acts 26, 23 says, Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. Revelations 5, 1, 5 calls him the firstborn of the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, Christ has risen from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. His resurrection is first because his resurrection is the beginning of a new order of things. A new order of things. It's a game changer. It accomplished something. Revelation 21.5 says, He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm making all things new. The resurrection of Christ is the beginning of God making all things new. It's the beginning of the redemption of all things, all of creation. It's the beginning of a new creation, moving towards the new heavens. And a new earth. Jesus, the resurrected Redeemer, is the founder of this new creation. He initiated it. But do you believe that? If I'm a cat, I'm going crazy right now, wherever that is on the ceiling. He's the initiator of it. So his resurrection is first in line. It's number one, it comes first. And his resurrection is superior. Why is it superior? Why is it superior? His resurrection is about his supremacy. Don't miss that. It's about him exercising his authority over death, his authority over sin, and his authority over Satan. Peter says in Acts 24, God raised him up, loosening the ropes of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. You see what kind of redeemer we got? Bigger than what we think he is. Bigger than the box we put him in. God raised him up, loosening, loosening the ropes of death. Think about that. Loosening the ropes of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold him down. He rose and conquered the grave. That's the type of redeemer that we have. We're small. Jesus is on a whole different level than us. Romans 6, verses, eight and, verses 9 and 10. We know that Christ, been raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For to death he died to death. For the death he died, he died to sin. Power of sin meets its end in Jesus. But do you believe it? That's the type of redeemer he is. The power of sin meets his end in Jesus. A bigger savior than you give him credit for. He's on a whole different level than we are. John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now the judgment of this world, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Who's the ruler of this world? It's the evil one. And Jesus cast him out with his death and with his resurrection. You see, Jesus brings all these three enemies to their knees with his resurrection. He defeats them. 
sin, death, the evil one. Can you defeat sin? Can you defeat death? Can you defeat the evil one? Is there anyone else, anything else in all creation can defeat those three enemies? Any power, any organization, any man, any leader who can say, I defeated sin, I defeated death, and I defeated the evil one. Who else can make that bow? There's only one. And Jesus Christ is his name. He says to those three enemies, who's your daddy now? Who's your daddy now? I suffered. I died. I was buried. And still I rise. Oh, yeah. Thank, thank, thank you, baby. Still I rise. He's the greatest. The resurrected redeemer. His resurrection first. His resurrection superior. He's the beginning. The firstborn of all creation. But do we believe it? Does it impact our life? Does it impact our relationships? Participation trophies are given out to those who just show up to a sport. I'm not a big fan of participation trophies. I do not like them. (laughs) Participation trophies, they don't really recognize a winner. There's no first place. There's no second place. There's no third place. There's really no losers. Participation trophy says everybody's a winner just because you participated in the sport. Everybody's doing a good job just for showing up. Colossians 1, 15 through 20, isn't a participation trophy. Jesus isn't being rewarded just because he showed up, just because he arrived. I'm here. I'm Jesus. Now give me all my trophies. No, he showed up, he participated, and he won. All he does is win. He's the real MVP. He's greater. He's better. He's superior. In the words of basketball, he's a baller. And the second half of verse 18b communicates that truth. He's the beginning of all things, the firstborn from the dead. Why? That in everything he might be preeminent. And everything in the Greek means everything. That in everything he might be first. So this means He is the only one that can say, I'm better than you, and it's true. And you should not get your feelings hurt, because it's going to be true whether whether your feelings are hurt or not. He's the only one who can say, I'm superior than you, and it's true, because he is. His life is superior. His death is superior. His suffering is superior. His resurrection is superior. Jesus is superior, greater, and better in all things, in all ways. The message Bible says he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From the beginning to the end, he's there towering above everything and everyone. That is Jesus. Please know that. Jesus is your savior. But guess what? You look up to him. Okay. You look up to him. You and Jesus ain't on the same level. Now, he might have came down from glory to save us from our sins, but it's never going to mean that you're going to be on the same level as him because he is God. We are man. We are woman. He's on a whole different level than us. 
and he does not share his glory with another. Jesus is never in second place, third place, last place. He's always first place. He is preeminent. And he says of himself in Revelation 22, 13, I am Alpha, I am Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, the end. Period. Drops the mic. End of discussion. No debate. No discussion. No commentary. He is those things. He is preeminent in every way and everything. He's preeminent in every way and everything because of who he is. You can't lose sight of who he is because it's who he is that allows him to do the things that he did. Do you think he could accomplish what he did if he was just like me? I love you, but if I die for you, you're still a sinner. So, so, so I'm sorry. If I die for your sin, you ain't got no hope before God. But Jesus is different than us. Whole different level than we are. Jesus is the creator of the universe, and he's the redeemer of it as well. He's king, he's savior. He's ruler, he's healer. He's the just, he's the justifier. He's God, he's man, he's divine, he's human. He's all those things. We're not. He is. Verse 19 says, for in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The resurrected redeemer is the image of the invisible God. It it just shows us a a different way in which he has done something and has been our redeemer. Everything that makes God God, Jesus has it. That's what that verse means. Everything the Bible says about God. Yahweh Elohim, from Genesis to Revelation, is also true of Jesus. That's who he is. God in the flesh. All of God's nature, all of God's attributes rest in Jesus. He has them. Colossians 1, 2 and 3 says, In these last days God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. Jesus is the radiance the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That is our redeemer. That is Jesus. Is that your Jesus? Is that your Jesus? Is that your redeemer? Through Jesus Christ, God created all things. Through Jesus Christ, He's redeeming all things. Through Jesus Christ, God is cleaning up the mess of the fall. He's making the house clean again through Jesus. He's cleaning up what we messed up. And Jesus' resurrection, see, isn't just uh, him standing far above everyone and everything. It's not just about that. It's not just about him defeating his enemies. You see, before he was resurrected, he was buried. Before he was buried, he died. Before he died, he was crucified. And before he was crucified, he was beaten. Why? The resurrected Redeemer, he was not just resurrected in power and glory. He's also a suffering Redeemer. Did you know that? He's a suffering Redeemer. The suffering of Redeemer, the suffering of the Redeemer was necessary. It was necessary. Why was it necessary? Why why did he have to suffer? Because if he didn't suffer, 
then reconciliation is not given. The cross was necessary. Please know the little baby Jesus you're going to celebrate in a few weeks, that baby was born to die. Please know that. He was born to die. He came with that mission, to die. He was marked for death. That's why he came. See, we, the gospel story, we forget that's a, it's a violent story. We do Christmas plays. That Christmas play is a violent play if we're really going to play it out to its fullest end. Where it, ends. it eventually ends on the cross and leads to resurrection. So we, we say the gospel is good news for us. It is good news. But Jesus suffered. He suffered a painful, violent death. Because without it, reconciliation won't take place. When Adam and Eve fell, they, they sinned against God. And that created a debt that had to be paid for because God's a holy God. And so that debt had to be paid. It is going to be paid in their blood in the end, or it's going to be paid in the blood of someone else's. A sacrifice is needed. There's no forgiveness without the sacrifice and the shedding of blood. So someone had to shed blood. And that's the question of that. If you think you can make yourself right with God, is, well, you, are you willing to die? Whose blood are you going to shed to make yourself right? Because Christ's blood was shed for that, for that purpose. It satisfied God's wrath towards sin. That's what his death did. It was a payment for our sin debt. He is a suffering redeemer who reconciles us through his blood to God. Verse 20. Through whom he to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven and on earth, by making peace. By the blood of his cross. Peace. By the blood of his cross. Peace with who? Peace with God. Why do I need peace? Because you were God's enemy. Until Jesus came. That's something that believers, we have a tendency to forget. Particularly us in first world Christianity. We thank God. We, we, we thank God. We're on God's side all the time. Well, it's me, me, God's my buddy. No. You were God's enemy. Until Jesus saved you. You weren't on the fringe. You, 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 you didn't have one foot in, one foot out. You were an enemy. You were under his wrath. Until God, until Jesus transferred you out of that. Don't forget, that's what you know, we talked about in the first part of this chapter. You transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that happened because of what Christ did. Because of what his did, he did on the cross. And in the fall, this not impacted us. It impacted all of creation. You cannot understand the world we live in apart from Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You cannot understand it. The fall was an actual event. It actually happened. It's not just something Christians made up. It's not a fairy tale. When Adam and Eve broke fellowship with God, it impacted them. It impacted all the generation. It impacted creation itself. And what Paul says that in Romans 8, for the creation was subject to fertility because of Adam. It broke as well. It was in bondage as well. And Christ came to renew not just us. He came to renew all of creation. 
He restoring everything back to its rightful place. But do you believe that? Dr. Anthony Bradley, he's a professor in New York. He says, we need to know that God's work of redemption in Christ includes people, places, and things. People, places, and things. God wants his people to care about the destinies of all people in every aspect of creation. But do we? But do we? Jesus is undoing what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3. He's cleaning up the mess of the fall. He's making creation clean again. Romans 5 says, Therefore, as one trespass leads to condemnation of all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's Jesus. Remember what Jesus redeemed you from. And remember to whom he reconciled you to, to the Father. Let that impact the way you live life. Let that impact the way you function in this country and if you function in this relationship with other people. We didn't reconcile ourselves to God. Jesus did it. We didn't make ourselves clean. His blood makes us clean. And this is what Paul reminds the Colossians of in, in, in verse 21. He says to them, and you who were once alienated and hostile in the mind, doing evil deeds. That's who they used to be. That's who I used to be before Christ saved me. Even though I thought, my, even though I, was, I, thought I was a good kid and I didn't do certain things, but that's who I was because I didn't know Jesus. Our view of goodness and Jesus' view of goodness is, again, on two different levels. He demands perfection. And if you're not perfect, then you don't meet the standard. Period. Now, if I compare myself to some of you, now I can say, well, I'm better. (laughs) But if I compare myself to God, I realize I ain't ever going to measure up. You compare yourself to the wrong people. Look, compare your life to Jesus, to God, and what does that do? If you're not humbled, if you're not broken, if you're not saying, Lord, have mercy, then then you need some Jesus juice or something. Because when you compare yourself to God, then you should realize I'm so far away from meeting his standard. But thank God that Jesus came to make things right again. Because there's no way you can make it right apart from him. He tells them again, now you have now been reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. He reminds them, remember your redemption. Remember who, where you came from. Remember who he reconciled you to. He encourages them to continue to press on in the faith, stable, steadfast, continue to rest and, and trust in Jesus, the hope of the gospel, his finished work. He doesn't want us or them to drift away from the hope of the gospel. Have you drifted away from the hope of the gospel? If you're trusting anything other than Jesus, you have. If there's something outside of Jesus that you say gives me life, you're drifting. If you're resting on any other security outside Jesus, you're drifting. If you think 
we as American Christians are safe because of policies, we're drifting. What sustains us is the Savior who died for us. The same Savior who sustained in our suffering brothers and sisters overseas sustains us. He is our security. He is our hope. He is our peace. Our resurrected Redeemer. Our suffering Redeemer. That's who he is. That's who we believe in. And that's what this table reminds you of. Of that. A resurrected Redeemer. A suffering Redeemer. This table reminds us of the hope of the gospel that says you're worse than you think, but you're more loved than you can even imagine. Please know that about yourself. You're worse than you think, and you're more loved than you can even imagine. At some point, it's the person in the mirror, not the person sitting next to you, but yet you're still loved by Jesus. This table reminds you of who he has reconciled you to. You're reconciled to God because Christ was broken. He was broken. Again, the gospel story is a violent story, but it's a necessary one. We don't get to heaven. We don't get to be in fellowship with God unless Jesus was actually broken for our sins. Unless he actually came and died and bled and was beaten and suffered and rose again. It ain't just a cross. It's a resurrection, too. Because if he just died, then guess what? Well, this is meaningless. So (laughs) he had to rise again as well. It ain't just a cross. It's a resurrection, too. And this meal reminds us of that. But now there's a warning attached to this meal. That means if you're a believer and you have some unrepentant sin in your heart, then you need to let the elements pass you by. It also means if there's a brother and sister you have not been reconciled with, then you need to let the elements pass you by and go be reconciled with your brother and sister. And then you come to the table. Now, friends and neighbors, if you don't profess faith in Christ, then I would love to talk with you more about that and what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and, and if you want to have that conversation, please see me after the service or see one of the elders and deacons, and we can talk with you about that. Because we want you to know who Jesus truly is, and we want you to be part of his family. And that requires saving faith in him, not just knowing things about him. Adults, we ask that the kids with you abstain from the elements until the church you attend has, has welcomed them to the table. And now my favorite part of the table is when I get to talk to my kids. If I can't see your face, that means I don't have your attention. All right. Good. This meal is a reminder to each and every one of you what Christ has done across for your sins. It's a reminder. That he actually came to this earth. He was beaten. He was suffered. He was crucified. He rose again as a payment for your sins. So that you, through faith in him, can be made right with God. There are those in this world who, who will say, this is not true. This is, not, this is just fairy tale stuff. This is truth. Christ actually died for each of your sins because he loves you. And as your pastor, it's my prayer that each and every one of you will come to saving faith and be able to partake of this meal with your mom and dad. Until that happens, we will continue to pray for you. Okay? I would like to invite the officers up forward to who is going to assist.